If I could have you return to your seats as we turn our attention now to the reading and preaching of God's Word. For those of you that uh, are relatively new to us, you might be going, that was a long break. What are they doing here? Why in the world does it take so long to dismiss kids? It's not very hard. Well, let me just say this. It's very intentional on our part. Not only are you going to hear that you are loved by God, but it is my hope that you experience the love of his people. And we intentionally make that period of time between the dismissal of the kids and, and the preaching of God's word intentionally long. We want introverts to squirm in their chair, okay? That is the truth. And just because you are introverted doesn't mean that you don't have a desire to be loved, to be seen, and to be known. So that time for you that, that are new with us, that is an intentional time for you to be known, seen, and loved. This morning we're continuing in our short sermon series called Repent and Be Loved by looking at this um, belonging of our own hearts to be accepted. We all have this desire to be accepted. It is indeed perhaps one of the most core longings of all of our hearts to be known, loved, and accepted. So this morning we're going to be looking at acceptance, and it is our hope that we would turn from the ways that we look for acceptance in our own power and own strength and turn to the living God and be loved by him. This morning, we're going to be preaching through uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. It is a beautiful story. If you um, have a Bible, you can turn to it there in your Bible. Let me encourage you that we have Bibles all around this church for you to take, steal it. It's not really stealing if we tell you to take it, but it's like, yeah, you can have this. If you have one of our, what we don't even call them pew Bibles, they're not pew Bibles, they're chair Bibles or whatever, it's on page 957, we'll be reading 36 through 50. The title of this would be A Sinful Woman Forgiven in the, That Bible. So if you will, hear the reading of God's word, perhaps one of my favorite stories, if I may so add my own personal preference in all the, the, the book of Luke. Oh, the word, good, good forgiveness, okay, forgiveness those that are following along on your G25 worksheet, forgiveness. Hear the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees, that is a religious leader in Israel, asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, someone who's not very good, kids, who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to reveal something that, that I, I don't know how you take it, so it doesn't matter. I, I want to reveal something about myself that I've experienced for most of my life. I have been, for the most of my life, very insecure. Every room, every place, every place that I've gone into, regardless of the social setting, everywhere that I've walked, I've always wanted to be liked, to be accepted. One of the most profound uh, memories of my insecurities, of when it really started to come into my mind, of this deep feeling of like, I really wanna be liked, comes from middle school. If you're in middle school, perhaps you can relate to this time. You wanted to be liked. You wanted to be accepted. For the first time, you might be, if you're a boy, looking at girls. If you're a girl, you're looking at boys. And this is strange phenomenon. You want to be liked. And I very vividly remember in seventh grade, turning to this girl who was a friend of mine, looking her straight into the face and calling her one of the most disturbing names that you could call any girl. And I did this not because this is who she was. I did this not because, you know, like, I did it simply that the other guys in the class would look at me, laugh, and like me. It bothers me to this day that I would do such a thing to such an image of God, a bearing, someone who bears God's image. I wanted to be liked. I felt so insecure that I'd do whatever it would take, even the most shameful things. In high school, things didn't get better. I wanted to be a part of the cool table at, at the lunchroom. So I willingly took change each and every day from the guys who sat at that table and went and got their drinks from the soda fountain. 50 cents each day. They would always call me Coke Run Boy. I was their lackey. It was even written in my yearbook from my freshman and sophomore year. I wanted to be liked. I would even be their servant. But if I was true to what I felt in that moment, I hated every minute. I hated that I had to go to the Coke machine and put 50 cents in to get, I won't even say their names in case they ever hear this, not that they will, okay, to get their drink. I had to do something to be liked. I could go on, but this feeling of insecurity, I'm sure, is something that you can relate to deeply in your life. You too have this desire to be accepted, to be welcomed, loved, and appreciated in whatever environment you find yourself in. Of course, we often fail to experience the love, the welcome, the acceptance that we crave. And for that, we have this deep insecurity and unrest in our hearts, do we not? Of course, we have to respond to this unrest in our hearts, to this lack of peace that we experience. We have to. And most of us become really clever how we do this. I mean, we'll walk into a room, our minds are working like a fast, expensive computer, scanning the room, processing all the factors that we see in the room. We'll pick up on conversations that people are having, and we'll make adjustments how we talk. We'll think about stories that we have experienced that maybe we could be welcomed into the conversation. Could we cave on our values just to be accepted? Well, sure. We'll cave on the values that we might hold deep in our hearts. 
We'd rather fall to peer pressure and be accepted than to stay true to what we know is right and what is good than be rejected. For others, this inner unrest is resolved by turning to things like drinks. There's a reason why they call it liquid courage. The drink takes the edge off of the fear that we've experienced in the midst of our insecurity. And so drinks become the way which we cope with the unrest and peace that we feel. It's exhausting, is it not? And it is worth wondering whether or not there's another way to deal with the unrest of our heart that is caused by this desire to be accepted. A way for us to walk into a room and experience peace regardless of what happens in that room. A way for us to not worry about what others think of us without a drink. And friends, there is. There is a way for you to experience that. I want you to consider the story of the woman and Jesus in Luke 7. According to the worldly and religious standards of the day, this woman is far from acceptable. Luke, the author of the story, fails to even mention her name. And yet this woman, a woman who we don't even know her name, makes a fool of herself for Jesus. She, in faith, only cares what Jesus thinks of her and makes a fool of herself. And of course, Jesus responds to being made a fool for Jesus. And his response is amazing. It's unlike the religious leaders at the table. And it's different than most all of us would respond to her. It is indeed unworldly. But here's what I want you to see in this interaction between Jesus and this woman. This story provides us an example of how we can live as well as a picture of how we, if we respond in similar ways to this woman, this is how God will respond to us. It's a, it's, a, it's a story that teaches us three important lessons. And I'm gonna give you the first two lessons and then the third one at the end. This story teaches us this, that faith leads to intimate connection. Faith leads to intimate connection. Secondly, that faith leads to forgiveness. These are the first two lessons that I want to dive in and study today. And in learning and embracing these lessons, friends, we can have relief from the social anxiety that so many of us experience. So let's study these lessons that we might find that relief. First, let's learn the lesson that faith leads to intimate connection. Faith leads to intimate connection. I want you to consider the woman at Jesus' feet. In your mind, picture her. What is, what is it you're hearing? What is it you're seeing? Here we have, the scripture says, a woman of the city. This is a phrase that's used to describe a woman of the night. Parents, I'll let you deal with that at home, okay? But it is said that she is a sinner. Her reputation is well known by all those who dined with Jesus at the table. When she sees Jesus dining at this religious man's table, she comes behind Jesus and she begins to weep. And so the first thing that you might imagine in your mind is this woman weeping. I mean, maybe you can go and recall a similar social setting where you've heard someone weeping. It's awkward, is it not? You wanna deal with it. You wanna figure out what's going on. And here this woman is at this dinner table weeping. And in the midst of her weeping, the tears are so abundant that the scripture says that the tears begin to fall at Jesus' feet. And there's so much tears. 
Like the weeping is so profound that she can then take her hair and wash Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. So you hear her weeping. You see the tears falling on Jesus' feet. And then you see her hair being used as a cloth. This is such an intimate act. Then to make matters worse, she gets down low. I mean, her hair is there, but she goes down further and she begins to kiss Jesus' feet. Kiss Jesus' feet. I've already told you the type of woman she is, right? And they're in this setting of religious, all this stuff. And here's this woman kissing Jesus' feet. But then she goes one step further. It says she takes this expensive ointment and she anoints Jesus' feet with it. This is an act that's reserved for the highest of people. It's, it's an act that d- depicts that all of her life savings that have been placed in this ointment, largely her most expensive, her most meaningful asset is being placed on Jesus' feet. Here this woman is placing her entire life, her livelihood, her everything at the feet of Jesus. She loves him and she's holding nothing back. She clearly trusts Jesus, she has faith in him. This is an undoubtedly risky move on her part. If you will, think back to that moment in your mind. It is certainly awkward. And it warrants this question. How will Jesus respond to such a messy, awkward, strange encounter? Well, Jesus responds in three ways. And I want you to see the ways that Jesus responds. Because ultimately, what I want you to see is that faith leads to intimate connection. Look at this intimate connection that is formed between this woman and Jesus, the way Jesus responds. What's the first thing that Jesus does when she's making a mess of his feet? Well, Jesus welcomes her. Unlike the world who who requires constantly upholding of standards that are ever-changing, Jesus is gracious and welcomes this woman who is simply a mess. A kind person we'd expect to correct this woman, maybe, hey, hey, it's okay, come on, you know, pick your head up. We'd expect the kind person to do this so that they might be protected from others in the room, but Jesus does none of that. In fact, her messy interactions are, are, are get more messy as it goes on. Jesus is welcoming her mess, her culturally unsound affection and love. Do you see how welcoming Jesus is in the midst of all this? Do you see that Jesus is willing to be associated with a woman of the city even in an intimate way? He's willing to lose his own reputation amongst the religious at the table and the other well-doers who are watching this whole thing fall out. He is welcoming her. An intimate connection is being formed. But notice this. He doesn't just receive her and welcome her. He also then defends her. Recall the host Simon, this religious leader, sees this whole affair unfolding and he wonders to himself. He doesn't say this out loud. He wonders to himself saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus, not hearing this, but being God himself, wisely says to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he begins his defense of this woman. Now you can look at this defense in verse 41. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And he says, you've judged rightly. I want you to see this, this interaction between Jesus and this Pharisee. And I want you to see that Jesus is defending this woman's actions in the midst of her, of, of this whole room. He's defending this woman who's entrusted herself to Jesus. And he's saying to Simon, she's loving more than you. Yeah, it's messy, it's culturally unsound, but I, Jesus, receive this. Don't you dare look down on her. So Jesus not only welcomes this messy and unculturally sound woman, he defends her in the midst of these religious, well-to-do people, but he doesn't just welcome and defend her. He goes even further. He honors her. After defending the women, Jesus turns towards her, and I want you to see that these, these, these words that Luke provides us are very intentional. He takes his gaze from Simon, and he looks at her. His eyes go to her, and, and certainly we can honor people when we see them, can we not? And Jesus sees this culturally messy, unsound woman. He's honoring her with his eyes, but then he honors her with his voice. And he says to Simon, that's the next thing it says. He's looking at her, but he says to Simon this, do you see this woman? Verse 44. Because he's clearly not seeing this woman. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus is elevating this woman above the religious leader who did none of the things that she did. Yeah, it's culturally unsound, but Jesus reworks it and honors her in front of everyone. In placing her wild, messy, unculturally sound faith in Jesus, this woman finds intimate connection with Jesus, a welcoming Defending and honoring connection. You see, faith leads to intimate connection. When I was in college, I was really struggling to pray, and I wanted to pray. I wanted to, to be connected with God, but prayer was something that was hard to come by. And one of my teachers, in listening to one of his sermons, talked about how he would sometimes get a chair and pretend that he was talking to Jesus. He said, just put a chair into your room and, and, and imagine talking to Jesus. And so, struggling to pray, I thought to myself, let's just try it. And if you could have been a fly on the wall with me in my little room, with my little computer swivel chair, you know what you would have thought of me? What is this guy doing? <laughs> He's talking to a chair. <laughs> Why is he talking to a chair? He looks like he's the guy on the road who's talking to the people or the ants on the ground. He's a crazy man, right? But you know what happened? I started doing it. Putting the chair and just talking to Jesus as if he was in that chair. And I began to experience an intimate connection with him. It was probably crazy in the world's eyes. It would have been unsound. In some ways, it would have been messy. But you know what? I began to experience an intimate connection through doing something that was wildly crazy. Because you know what that whole situation created? I'm just gonna lean into Jesus. And I don't care what it is that I'm doing. I'm talking to a chair. But you know what? I experienced an intimate connection when I had faith in Jesus. Church, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. 
leaning into Jesus, regardless of the way it looks, talking as, as like to a crazy chair, like a crazy man to a chair, or being like this woman in this unculturally sound, messy, crazy way, but literally leaning into Jesus, trusting Jesus with all you got will produce an intimate connection with Jesus. It doesn't matter how it goes. It just matters how you do or just that you would do it. The how is not so much the problem. It's the willingness to do it. Most of us don't believe that when we come to Jesus in this mess or this unculturally sound reality that we will be received by Jesus. We think we've gotta have our ducks in the row before Jesus welcomes us, defends us, and honors us. It's the reality of our our lives. It is truly the reality of our lives. But here's the thing. If we come to Jesus with our ducks in a row and everything, we will not experience intimate connection because intimate connection with Jesus only comes by what? Faith. This woman is a beautiful example to us that we go to Jesus literally with ourselves and only ourselves. And when we come with faith, we will experience intimate connection. I told you there's lessons, there's three lessons that we're gonna learn that we might not have that social anxiety, that we might be able to live in this world without the fear of being rejected. And and that's the first lesson, that faith leads to an intimate connection. But there's a second lesson from this story that we have to see. And if we miss this, we're gonna miss it all. The second lesson from this story is that faith leads to forgiveness. Faith leads to forgiveness. Look again at the lesson that Jesus teaches Simon in verse 44. Again, this is the time when he's looking at the woman and he then speaks to Simon. It's this really strange thing. I'm looking here, but I'm talking over here. It's this beautiful thing. He says... To Simon in verse 44, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, where does this lead? Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Her faith leads to forgiveness. You see, in looking to Jesus, this woman finds something entirely different than the world. Simon, like the world, judged her for what she had done and for who she was. But in Jesus, this woman doesn't find this harsh judgment. How is this so? Now, in a a time and, and culture that we live in right now, this is a very important thing that we have to distinguish. You might have the religious who look at this woman and judge the woman for the type of behavior she lived in. And certainly, this is not good behavior. What she did is not honoring of God. Yet Jesus doesn't look to her with judgment. No, we've just looked at it. He welcomes her. He, He defends her. He honors her. How does Jesus welcome, honor, and defend a woman who does things that are not godly? Now, the irreligious might look at this and praise Jesus for his welcoming, defending, and honoring, saying, oh, this woman, oh, he loves her for who she is and what it is she's done. He doesn't care about all that stuff. He just accepts her for who she is. But we have to be careful. This is not why Jesus accepts her, welcomes her, and honors her and defends her. Jesus is not ignoring who she is and what she's done. No, he sees it. He sees it very clearly. But he's not like the religious who judge her. Why? Because he forgives her. 
And forgiveness is the key here. Now, in forgiving her, I want you to see that there's two things implied in this statement. And it's what makes sense of Jesus and that, that faith leads to forgiveness. The first is this, that Jesus has the authority to forgive. Jesus has the authority to forgive. He forgives her because he has the authority to forgive. Now, to forgive implies that you are the one that has been wronged, that the wrong has been done to you. If you came to me asking for forgiveness, that's something that you had done to your neighbor, I tell you, stop it. Now, you might come to me because I'm a pastor and like, you might think you need to be absolved or whatever. I'm like, no, you did, like, you did nothing to me. You need to go to who to get forgiveness? The neighbor. It's your neighbor you've wronged. Neighbor is the one with the authority to forgive you, not me. So in forgiving this woman, Jesus is implying he's the one who's been wronged, that he's the one who's been sinned against. He's not ignoring her sin. He's acknowledging it, but he's forgiving it because he's the one who has the authority to forgive. Indeed, Jesus doesn't ignore our sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He addresses it and extends forgiveness. But there's another important reality that this statement implies. Not only that Jesus has the authority to forgive, but secondly, that Jesus is the one who pays for that forgiveness. You do realize that there's a cost to forgiveness, right? And the one that does the forgiving is the one that pays for the forgiveness. Here's what I mean. If you were to bring your sweet child into my home and they were to play, not that this has ever happened before, and you would never let your children run around my house and destroy things, I know that. You guys are just way too good. But if you were to destroy something in my house, like let's say mm, um, a sprinkler system, and that would cost me mm, $2,500, would I then hold that against the family whose little child destroyed that? And if you're wondering, has this ever happened? Absolutely, it has happened, okay? Kid took a baseball bat right to sprinkler head and it depressurized my entire system. <laughs> yep, we know who it is, Benjamin. <laughs> but you know what? I forgave that little, little boy. And you want to know why I forgave that little boy? Because I paid for it myself. See, forgiveness always implies paying the cost. So when Jesus extending this forgiveness to this woman, not only does he have the authority to forgive, he's saying, I'm going to pay for your sins. He's not sweeping his, her sins and her life under the rug. No, he's saying, what you do, you put on me. I forgive you. This, my friends, is profound. And Jesus pays for the sins of this woman and for your sins by going to a cross. It's a forgiveness that is paid through the payment of blood. This ultimately is what God says. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid that wage with his own body and his own blood. You see, this is the heart of Christianity. This is the good news that is so profound for our faith, that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God himself pays the price for our own rebellious actions by bleeding for it in his body on the cross. Paul or Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once that for he sins, might bring us to God. You see, in approaching Jesus in faith, this woman finds more than just intimate connection with Jesus. 
she finds forgiveness. And the judgment that causes all of us to be weary and weak need when we walk into a room, how am I gonna be liked? How am I gonna be, how am I gonna be seen? That, that weak need feeling, guess what? That judgment has been paid for. Forgiveness has been rendered through Jesus on the cross. Faith leads to forgiveness. There are a few examples in my life where I see this. And of course, I think the most easy and most obvious way this is, especially, is, is my children. My children, they'll disobey me. I'm not trying to pick on them. They just do disobey me from time to time. And, and we have to have the conversation and talk. But you know what? When we have, Daddy, will you forgive me? Guess what happens right after that? Forgiveness is rendered, and then they crawl into my lap. And there is beautiful, intimate connection between my kids and me. This is exactly what Jesus does for us. You know, we bring, we just, in faith, we go to Jesus. You, you think that woman wasn't aware of what she did? You don't think that woman probably experienced a lot of personal judgment in her own life? If only I could get away from this. If only I could do this. The only way she could get out of that is through Jesus. That's it. And the forgiveness that he rendered to her. In experiences forgiveness, guess what? She experienced freedom. Freedom of the opinions of others. Which leads to the third lesson that I told you was going to come. Faith. Here's the third lesson. Faith leads to acceptance. When we cast all of ourselves on Jesus, we will indeed be accepted. But this acceptance is not just a willy-nilly acceptance. It is indeed a welcoming, a defending, an honoring, but it's also a forgiving. And we need to believe that that forgiveness has been rendered unto us. And friends, when we embrace those three lessons of this story, we can then begin to live and move into any situation because the God of the universe has already rendered his judgment onto us. And if the God of the universe loves us and accepts us because we trust him, what does it matter that Cynthia Smith in sixth grade likes you or not? The God of the universe likes you, loves you, accepts you. Who gives a rip about Cynthia Smith? Besides, she's going she's gonna to like you one day and, like, and dislike you the other. Is there a Cynthia Smith in Arkansas? It probably is. That's just a made-up name. Who's your Cynthia Smith? It doesn't matter. If you trust Jesus, you will experience intimate connection and forgiveness. Oh, that you would trust Jesus, that you would go to him and lean on him and trust that he does indeed accept you. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we give thanks to you for your gospel, for this good news. Indeed, it is good news that we have, that it is not dependent upon us for our acceptance with you, that it is completely and utterly dependent upon Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Oh, Lord, when we see this, oh, it does indeed warm our hearts. But I ask, oh, Lord, that it would do more than just warm our hearts, that it would give us peace and very anxious settings. Lord, for the, for the children in this room, 
we're getting ready to really understand what it means to be accepted and not accepted, who experience loneliness, I pray, oh Lord, that they would learn this lesson now. I pray for the high schoolers in this room. I pray, oh Lord, that they would indeed trust your word, trust who you say of them, trust that you will accept them, that you will forgive them, and that they need not the Cynthia Smiths of this world to be accepted. Oh Lord, may they know this and walk in the confidence. And I pray that for all of us in this room as well. That as we go into our work or go into our social settings or go take our kids to school and deal with different parents and all this stuff and all these things, I pray, oh Lord, that we would go knowing that your smile is upon us, that indeed you accept us in Jesus Christ through faith. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand?